So welcome back, everybody, to another episode of What's Important Now, the podcast from the United States Border Patrol Academy. Now, this month, the month of March, is Women's History Month. And so we've taken the opportunity to make, to dedicate, rather, these podcasts this month about the special women of the United States Border Patrol. These are the women that have worn this uniform, the women that are our family members, the ones that have left a, a lasting mark and had an impact, a significant impact on our lives and on our country. So for part two of the series, we have a very special guest. We have Chief Carla Provost. Now, Chief Provost was the chief of the United States Border Patrol. More than that, she was the very first female chief in almost 100 years of existence in the United States Border Patrol. The very first female chief had a very long and illustrious career with the United States Border Patrol and in law, and law enforcement before that. I'll get to that in a second, but before I do, I want to welcome her. So, Chief, good to see you. Great to see you, Chief, and it's an honor to be here with you. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me to do this. I'm really excited. We are all very excited to have you on and, and to hear uh, what you're going to have to say. What have you been up to? You've been retired for, has it been two years yet? No, nope, just a little over a year. About a, It was a year at the end of January, So, but boy, it, it went by fast. I can definitely say that. So um, spending a lot of time with the family, settled down in, in uh, a new home, and uh, I'm doing a little bit of consulting work, but otherwise I'm, I'm getting outdoors and doing all of the things that I wanted to be doing before and uh, didn't have time to. So it's been great. Well, you look like retirement has treated you well. <laughs> I see that. Uh, it so has. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying it's given me an opportunity to get healthy again. It was a little bit difficult at times. And I, I know uh, folks like yourself always staying in good shape, but uh, I wasn't doing a good job of making the time of it. So I've, I've had the time and I've been making that a priority in my retirement. Well, I'm going to guess that it's probably a little easier now that you're not inside the Beltway in D.C., <laughs> That it is. That it is. Um, I, I haven't uh, been probably this healthy for a good decade or more. So uh, those last five years up in D.C. made it a little tougher. <laughs> I can only imagine. And and your uh, your method of, of staying in shape, if I'm not mistaken, is golf. Is that right? Well, that is certainly one of them, although I, I am terrible. And anybody that I go with will tell you that. But it's still, I have fun. I'm, I'm going with um, a lot of uh, other fellow retirees from the Border Patrol. So many of us retired in, in uh, close to one another. So I'm enjoying that. But I'm out. I'm even running again and working out quite a bit. So and eating better and sleeping, all of those things that, you know, you, it's hard to do while you're uh, while you're there. And particularly in D.C., it was hard to do. And you've stayed close to the United States Border Patrol. You've stayed in our orbit and uh, stayed in touch with us. And as you as you mentioned, there are several of you that uh, that have retired in the past few years, really, that that have chosen the garden spot of uh, the country, the hill country of, uh, of the great state of Texas, and, and stay in contact with one another. And that just kind of perpetuates the idea of what this Border Patrol family is. It's true. Uh, still, still my family to this day. And I, of course, 
uh, of course, keep track of what's going on with you all, um, worried about the men and women and all of the challenges that you guys are facing, but uh, excited that, uh, to see all of the things you're doing at the academy to get some, some new, uh, new recruits in and, and uh, ensuring that they're properly trained. So thanks for everything that you're doing on, on getting our frontline men and women out there. Well, thank you, Chief. So for those of you who haven't had the opportunity to read about, or if you've been living under a rock for the past few years, don't know who Carla Provost is, I want to tell you a little bit about her uh, bio and, and her time in the U.S. Border Patrol. So Chief Provost, she started with the Border Patrol in 1995. In January of 1995, she was with Class 277. Now, Chief, do you know what class we're on right now here at the Academy? I do not, Chief, but I know it's pretty high because I spoke at the 1077th. <laughs> so we're, we're up to 1167, I think, at this point. Oh That's gosh. the most uh, junior class. So they just keep going by uh, quick like that. Do you remember your class chant? Of course I do. Let's hear Strength. <laughs> Strength, pride, law, and order. 277 will guard the border, sir. And that is more than 25, 26 years later, and you still can recall yes. it just like that. What about your classmates? You still stay in touch with any of them? I do. I do. on uh, Through Facebook with a few of them. Um, a lot of them have been retiring. A lot of them are still out there, uh, you know, holding down the fort with you. Um, so uh, I'd say we're, we're close to half and half, probably. Uh, probably more still working, I, I would say, than retired. One of the things we tell the, uh, the trainees whenever they first get here, and, and we have our talk with them, it's uh, about honor first and what that means. And, and one of the things we have them do is look to their left and right and, and look at the individuals that are sitting next to them and to think about what the class number means to them in that moment. And then we ask them again when they get ready to graduate. And it's always remarkable to see the change and how you look at your classmates and how you forever think of your class. And there's no better example of that than asking somebody, who's been around for a long time now, to this day, they still remember their class number. They still remember their yep. class chant. They still stay in touch with their classmates. I think that has been true probably since the inception of the academy. I would agree with you, Chief. And, and I think it's important. It's part of what you mentioned it earlier. Uh, the Border Patrol's a family. It certainly was my second family um, and, and still is. I still, it's hard for me not to say my men and women because I said that for so long, you know, as, as the chief and, and in my heart, you, you all still are my men and women because you are part of that part of my family. Well, you earned that right. And that's, that's one of the things that you'll notice. Uh, I, I go to say Carla and it comes out chief. <laughs> I just can't, I can't, I can't shake it, but that's something that uh, once you've held that title, you kind of, it's an honorary title that you get to carry for the rest of your life. For us, you will always be chief provost and so you've earned the right to say that the, that we are your men and women because in many ways we always will be. That was a hard-fought and well-earned right, and you have every right to think that way. <laughs> Thank you, Chief. <laughs> so talking about uh, Chief uh, Provost's uh, illustrious career. So she started off in Tucson sector. She became a supervisory Border Patrol agent and then a field operations supervisor, which for us is a second-line supervisor. Uh, she actually was on the bike patrol. She was uh, in firearms training. She taught post-academy, uh, the law portion. She's uh, been a part of Yuma sector as an assistant chief. She was a patrol agent in charge in the Welton station, which is part of Yuma sector, and that's a, that's a field command. She actually is in charge of one of our stations, which a sector is divided up into multiple stations. If you can think of a large city and various precincts within that city, that's kind of how the Border Patrol divides itself up uh, within a sector. 
And so uh, from there, she was uh, she moved on and she was actually appointed to the SES ranks, the Senior Executive Service ranks, at a very early point in her career. It's very unusual. Uh, not many people uh, get the SES level at the at the uh, point in your career where you did in 2011. So with about 16 years, if my math is correct, yes, you, sir. Uh, you reached the Senior Executive Service, which is a monumental feat in government service. How did that feel? Good. Good timing, I think. I, I will be honest, throughout my career, I had so many great opportunities. I came in in 95, as you said, when uh, things were just really picking up and the Border Patrol was growing dramatically. And I was blessed throughout my career uh, on timing, I'd like to say, on having good timing and opportunities. Um, certainly wasn't looking to, to get into the SES quite yet at that time. Uh, loved being a PAIC, best job there is. Um, but uh, you know, the opportunity was there and, and I wouldn't change it for the world. It was great uh, getting to go over to El Paso sector and, and everywhere I went in my career, uh, always the men and women, always the men and women that impressed me and, and having those opportunities uh, that I was blessed with. The fondest are the fondest of memories for me. So you mentioned that. So as a member of the SES <clears throat> ranks, you took over as the deputy chief of the El Paso sector. It's one of our largest and most busiest uh, sectors in the entire country along the southwest border. And coming from uh, being in charge of a station out in, in Yuma sector, how was that different? Talk about the, the adjustments you had to make to go from not a smaller operation. I mean, it's, it's, it's a significant operation in its own right, being a patrol agent in charge, but then to be number two in command of, of one of our largest sectors. Sure. No, Chief. I think I think the biggest change was um, the political aspect of it. There's a big change from the field command position of of being a PAIC, and particularly, I was the as you said, I was the PAIC of the the Welton Station, and the Welton Station is is a great station, by the way, to be uh, in, in charge of because there's no large cities and there's uh, you know no ports of ports of entry in the AOR. It truly, truly was old school border patrol work. And the agents out there were out on the line, cut and sign, tracking up through the Cabeza Prieta National Wildlife Refuge and such. Um, and it was a smaller community where we were, were uh, definitely welcomed in the border patrol. So leading that station was just really, like I said, one of the best times in my career. Now, coming to El Paso, I absolutely loved, but it was a change going into the deputy chief position. Uh, the responsibilities changed dramatically at the sector level. Uh, obviously, I couldn't get out into the field quite as much as I would like, or at least in the same capacity that I did as the PAIC. But um, a lot more of the political aspect coming in, in, in the realm of dealing with community leaders um, in the El Paso area and the other law enforcement, and then on a more national scope, uh, because I was at the sector and supporting the chief there and, and, the, and the men and women. And then really running, you know, as the deputy, that's the tougher job. Uh, I would say the chief is more of the the face of the organization, and I think that's anywhere, um, and maybe doing some of the public events, but running the behind the scenes falls more on the deputy. And uh, so it was it was definitely challenging for me, but great group of men and women once again in El Paso, and I loved the two years that I spent there. So you hit on a very important point, and it's, it's one that I have also said. It, Without a doubt, one of the toughest jobs in a sector is to be the deputy chief. That is the person that is behind the scenes making everything happen. That is the person that is the busiest. Literally everything goes through that office. 
for me, I think a person ought to have to be a deputy chief before they go to be a chief patrol agent because then you can only understand what it is you're doing to that person in the number two chair and what they do for you. So you 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 did that at one of our largest sectors for for a couple of years, and then from there you took a little different uh, different path. You went over to CBP's Office of Professional Responsibility as the Deputy Assistant Commissioner, which again, that's the number two position for for that for that office. And for those of you that don't know, the Office of Professional Responsibility is basically our internal affairs, where you have to see some of the things that uh, maybe not quite as fun as doing the uh, the the Border Patrol mission. Talk a little bit about that. What was that like for you? Sure. So it wasn't something that I sought out. Um, I, I actually, um, I was sitting as the chief in El Centro for, because I did get to do two years in that position when they, um, when, uh, actually it was then deputy chief, uh, Ron Vitello called and asked me to, uh, uh, to consider taking on the job and the role, uh, which was very difficult for me to do, I will say, because it took me out of the green uniform and, um, when I ended up speaking with the deputy commissioner of CBP at the time, I said I would only do it if I could go back into the green because I, I bleed green and it wasn't anything against CBP. Um, and I thought it was an important role and I was honored to have the opportunity to do it. But I certainly was concerned about being able to come back into that to that uniform because um, one year in the Border Patrol and I swore I'd never leave. So I certainly wanted to be retiring as a Border Patrol agent. But um, ultimately was, was given that, that nod that they would definitely, um, you know, bring me back, uh, which uh, luckily they did. Uh, but at the same time, I only spent a little over a year over there. But wow, what a mission. And um, they are so understaffed. Uh, they need more support still to this day in that office. But it was great for me to see um, another side of CBP and the important role that they play. And I think it was great. I think that went both ways. I think it was good for the men and women over there to, you know, this was a change for them having a border patrol agent come in as, as the uh, uh, deputy assistant commissioner. And um, it, it was just really a, an all around great experience. I brought to them kind of the field perspective of what the men and women, the challenges that they were up against. And they educated me on the importance of the role that they play. I mean, all of us, one bad apple, we want them out more than anybody else, right? And also what they do to clear people when there are false allegations, you, th you think about that, right? Their, their job is to get down to the truth of whatever happened. Um, but they do so much more too. They handle all of the physical security for CBP. Um, it's not just the, everybody always thinks of, oh, I'm in trouble. It's the internal affairs side of the house. But they're seeking the truth, just like we do in in um, our work, uh, like you do uh, today. And it's it's a great group of people. It's an important mission. They need more support. They need more funding to really do it, uh, do their job correctly. And that's all they want to do. They want to get down to the truth of whatever happened. Uh, being a law enforcement professional, as you well know, is very, very difficult and very challenging. And you have to make split uh, decisions in, in very tough scenarios, but I was very impressed with everybody that I worked with over there, really enjoyed the time, and I continue relationships with them as well today, just like I do with, with uh, so many men and women in the Border Patrol. So you hit on another good point, no surprise, but one of the things that we also talk to our new trainees about, you see in the news, and, and the past couple of years have been difficult uh, on law enforcement because of, because of some bad apples. And uh, yes. the trick is to make sure that 
that we don't get painted with the same brush. And I think one of the things that gets overlooked, and they find out as soon as they start to put on a uniform, as soon as they choose to wear a badge, anytime there's somebody that tarnishes uh, the badge, there is nobody that feels it at a more visceral level, that, that, that feels it and gets more angry and upset about it than those of us that wear this uniform. We do not want somebody tarnishing an image, a reputation, a legacy that we have poured half of our lives in to try and establish that public trust and being a good public servant and, and making the organization and the family everything that it should be in the eyes of those that we serve. OPR kind of has a, a principal role in making sure that that is always true. So true, Chief, and, and you're exactly right. And the way you describe that is how I always describe it when somebody asks me, uh, you know, something about um, someone in law enforcement who does tarnish the badge. I said, there's nobody, nobody else other than the, those who wear the badge that, you know, feel that pain more. Um, OPR really does play a, an important role, and they feel it the same way too, right? They, they are uh, they wear a badge and they took that same oath of office. And um, I, I don't think you can say it any better than our motto of honor first. And when that honor is tarnished, we feel it. Um, so it's it really is important to make sure that that uh, we deal with those issues swiftly um, and correctly to ensure the integrity of the agency. Absolutely. And, and I apologize. I skipped over a, uh, an important step in your career. I forgot to mention that you were the chief patrol agent of the El Centro sector after you were the deputy chief in El Paso. No. That's a, that's a big one. I apologize for that. That's the, okay. I, you know, I was blessed, like I said, to move, I, other than I was moving every two years, I was blessed to get a hit, hit several roles. Um, uh, certainly would have loved to spend more time there. And that that's a great se sector and, and a, a hidden secret, really. It really is. Um, you know, I, I started my career there. I started in Calexico, yeah. California. So you great. know. <laughs> I know that it is a, a great sector. It is a great place to work. There's great people there. It's also very hot. <laughs> it is very hot, but I can't, I can't, you know, you were out doing the, the hard work. I was in an air-conditioned office or an air-conditioned truck most of the time. <laughs> yeah, it, and that's the only way to fly as far as I'm concerned. But they a great sector, and they still are doing uh, great things even today. I'm sure you probably uh, keep in touch with, with them as well. And and so you were there, and, and that's when you actually achieved what is our pinnacle to get to be a, a chief patrol agent uh, is of, of a sector. And, and then you went on to Office of Professional Responsibility. And then in 2016, you were actually called upon to be the deputy chief, the number two for the United States Border Patrol. You've got a lot of experience in the deputy role. <laughs> you know, Chief, you said it earlier, and I, I would say this too, and I know you instilled this in the young men and women coming out of the academy, but I do think it is important uh, to hit as many positions as you can um, throughout your career because every experience is different. You stated it earlier, uh, talking about the importance of the deputy role. And um, uh, really the only position that I missed was the DPAC uh, coming up. And I think it is important to hit as many positions as you can, um, but also make sure that while you're in that position that you're really focused on it. A lot of people focus on their next position the moment that they get into the, to the job. Well, where am I going next? And I've always found that uh, you will perform the best if the moment you step into a, a job, you are focused on that job and doing the best that you can in it. And then the other positions come. And I think that's what happened throughout my career. I wasn't looking to 
um, you know, move beyond PAIC, really. And at that point, it wasn't me searching out those jobs. It was because I was doing a good job in them that the opportunities came. And I think that's been the, probably the experience for yourself as well. I know you've been tapped on the shoulder many a time. Um, but the chief, the chief patrol agent, another great job. As you said, the, the sector was a great, great sector. Um, I, I had so much fun in El Centro. The men and women are doing amazing things out there like they are everywhere. And, you know, just as you said before, so I started in Tucson sector. I spent 11 years in Douglas before I ever left there. And then after that, um, I moved quite often um, across the Southwest border. Never had the opportunity to work on the Northern border though. That's the one thing that uh, I really did miss that I, I would have loved to have had an opportunity to do. I loved every second of it. I've been uh, on two Northern border assignments, as you know, you know, uh, yep. anybody. And I, well, I kept my house in Maine. I, I absolutely love ah, it up there. Good for you, and, uh, Chief. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a great experience and, and definitely just like you said, for any position in the Border Patrol, recommended uh, highly. So. That's great advice for just the rank and file, anybody in general listening, is focus on the here and now. When you get a position, pour yourself mm -hmm. into it and do the very best you can. I think that's something that we would all want. And I, and I think that you're right, it does get uh, lost sometimes if uh, if a person is ambitious and looking at uh, what that next promotion is, then they can take their eye off the prize and maybe not do as good as they would otherwise have done in that position that they're in. So very great ad advice. And when you became the deputy chief of the U.S. Border Patrol, you were also the first female deputy chief in its history, right? Uh, yes, I believe. Yes, in yeah. a permanent position. Yes, definitely. Position. And uh, and then, of course, from there, we all know what happened. You became <laughs> what we refer to as B1. That is the chief yes. of the United States Border Patrol. That is our designator for the chief of the United States Border Patrol and continued to make history. At that point, the, you, you became a, uh, a legend in this organization forever. And... Uh, Everything that we have talked about right now, your career would be great if it were being described for anybody, but you're a female in an organization that has 5% of its population as females. We call that the fearless 5%, and it's something that, uh, you know, in my mind is, is to be celebrated because it means not just anybody can do the job, and the ones that do, they, they deserve those accolades, and that's that, that's why we call it the fearless five percent. You're you're one of the founding plank holders, you know. You're 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 the member. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about that. Let's 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 transition sure. and go back to whenever you when you EOD. You joined an organization in 1995 that uh, very few women were a part of. Mm -hmm. How was that for you? Where did you? What challenges, if any, did you come across that may be different for somebody like me when I came in? That uh, when we're talking to the young women that are coming up today and some of the challenges that they may face in an organization like ours, talk to them. Sure. Um, and I love that Fearless Five, by the way. I've seen a couple of the videos you all have done on it. Uh, that didn't exist while I was there. Nobody called it that. No. Um, uh, it, you know what? I, I was blessed, actually. The class that I came in, there were five of us, five women, which was big back then to have a class with five women in it. Um, and ultimately, four of us uh, uh, spent our, our careers, uh, it, you know, through the through the Border Patrol. Um, when it came to, you know, I, I was a police officer before joining and I, that was about we were about 10 percent of my PD um, in Manhattan, Riley County Police Department. So coming to the Border Patrol, it wasn't a big shock for me to have a class of, you know, 40 some people and five, five of us being women. We were, as I said, a very high being at 10 percent. 
But um, some of the challenges, I think, probably the biggest challenge, and I think also one of the biggest pride issues for the for all of us women in the Border Patrol is that the academy is exactly exactly the same for men and women, and the physical techniques portion of it. Um, I was a good runner back then and beat probably half the guys in my class. But I will tell you, it made it a little tough. I was, I am a competitive person and I was wanting to be in the top three. I was fourth in my class. <laughs> and it was probably because of the PT. I wasn't quite there, um, you know, and I was a good runner and such, but there are challenges, I, I think, uh, that certainly impact women um, in the patrol. But at the same time, it's part of what, makes us feel like we're just, you know, part of the border patrol and proud. People have heard me say this before. I never considered myself a female border patrol agent. I was a border patrol agent for 25 years. And, and I mean that in a positive way for all of the women out there, because you're doing exactly the same thing that all the guys are doing. And you should be very, very proud and getting through all of that. Uh, just graduating the academy, and this is for all the men and women. It's one of the toughest, toughest academies around. Um, I put it up against any any other agency, and you know, pinning that badge on at graduation, uh, such a proud moment. It still sticks with me today. And anytime I had the opportunity to go back and and speak at a graduation, it was just so great to see that. But for the women in particular, I think it it maybe even maybe even holds a little bit more because, uh, you know, we know that we got through the exact same thing as, as the men did and um, not having, being born with the same physical capabilities. Uh, but throughout my career, I've always held true to the fact that I was a border patrol agent and um, not a female border patrol agent. And I felt like I was treated, treated uh, the same for the most part and I know some women have different experiences. Uh, the key that I found and something that I always say to the female agents is you stand out. You stand out because there are only 5% of you. But you choose, you get to choose how you stand out in the organization. If you're a female and you are a hard worker, you stand out more than the men who are hard workers. If you're a female and you're not maybe the hardest worker, unfortunately, you also stand out more than the men. So the advice that I tend to give to, to young female agents is how do you want to stand out? Because you are going to stand out at 5%. No ifs, ands, or buts. And if you're a hard worker, the, the thing, and I've seen so many female agents that were hard workers, and I've listened to the guys talking, and they're like, man, she's 10-8. You know, she's 10-8. And when you get that reputation, you're golden as a female in the Border Patrol. So for those that don't know, 10-8 means somebody that is ready to go, good to go. Somebody that uh, is a hard worker. That's the uh, the 10 codes that are used on the uh, on the radio. And, and so in Border Patrol jargon, that is... Uh, that's a compliment. That's uh, to anybody yes. to say that they are that they are ten eight. So that that's amazing. I'm trying to unpack everything that you just said. So you chose to look at yourself as no different. You didn't put yourself into a bucket. You were a border patrol agent, and that's all you did. And you saw mm -hmm. everybody else as being the same. And that probably was something that helped you advance. And you just simply chose not to not to see yourself as as any different. 
and, and did everything else everybody else did. Definitely. And, and that's, like I said, that's not always going to be the case for everybody um, in the patrol. And I've heard many women talk about different experiences that they have had that have not been uh, the same as mine, but that truly ha was my experience coming up through the patrol. And um, I think I proved myself early on in my career and continued to do that. You have to keep doing it, right? Uh, just, just like anybody else, just like anybody else, you have to keep doing it. But uh, as long as you work hard, and part of that came from my, my upbringing and my, my parents, um, I have two siblings, I have an older brother and sister, and uh, we were all raised the same, that you can do whatever you want, but whatever you do, you do the best at it. Um, and it didn't matter. I, I remember running a cross country meet when I was a, a teenager because I was a, a competitive runner when I was young. Didn't look like it went later in life, but... <laughs> But my father actually got into a fight um, at one of my cross country meets with a with a gentleman because they it was a smaller meet and the girls were running with the boys. And my dad was cheering me on to pass several of the boys, um, you know, and, and beat several of the boys in the uh, meet. And uh, the other gentleman didn't think that was appropriate. I'll just leave it at that. And uh, it, it was it was quite funny. It didn't go down well, but. It speaks to how I was raised. I was never raised that you can't do something because you're a girl. You you can do whatever, but whatever you choose to do, you better do your best at it. And, and that came from both of my parents. And that's great. And that goes to the second thing that you were talking about is you choose not to see yourself differently, but at the same time, you recognize that you stand out. And there's, mm -hmm. there's a certain responsibility, I think, that goes with that. And Definitely. how you choose to stand out is entirely up to you. Exactly, Chief. That, that's exactly, that goes along with that advice that I give the, the young female agents um, uh, is you do stand out and you do have to be co cognizant of that. You do stand out and that, that can be a great thing. Um, it, it really can be if, if you're known as that 10-8 that agent, you know. Uh, so I, I hope uh, that that's the goal. I know hope is not a strategy, but that that's the goal of, of most of the women. And I see it every day. Anytime that I spoke to uh, female agents in the border patrol, I could see that passion, the same passion that I had and that same hard work ethic and that they, they were proud of themselves for graduating that tough Academy that you put them through chief. And, uh, it, it's, it's a great thing to see. And it's, it's a great thing to see more women rise up to the top because diversity in our organization, and that's not just gender diversity. I think diversity across the board is great for any organization. And diversity can be diversity of gender, diversity of race. Um, it, it can be diversity in just upbringing, right? We all came from all over the country and were brought up in different ways. And, and I see that across the Border Patrol family and it makes me proud uh, to see so many different people rise, uh, rising up through the organization. Um, of course, I wanna see the, those uh, hardworking women continuing to do it though as well. And I know they, they will. I, I said it before, I maybe uh, was the first female chief of the border patrol, but I know I, I definitely will not be the last. Oh, I can tell you that for a fact, looking at some of the yep. folks that are coming through today, the, uh, it, it's very impressive. We always like to see that the next generation, we want them to be better than we were. Always. And I, always. I think the border patrol can say that. I, th I think every generation every new evolution, we get better. And that's one of the things that makes me love this organization. 
as much as you do, I think. You, yeah. you, you talked about that earlier. You, you came in, so you, you're from middle America like me. You're from Kansas, and I'm from Oklahoma. Yeah. And you were a police officer for a couple of years in that, in that neck of the woods. And, and so you joined the Border Patrol, and you said earlier, you said, after a year, I knew I never wanted to leave. So when you came in initially, was your, your plan was not to stay? You were going to look for something else? or It was not. So I was... Um, uh, I was going through the hiring process with the U.S. Marshals, um, and I wanted I wanted in federal. I was, you know, loving my job as a police officer, but I, you know, I was 25 years old, 24, 25, and uh, thinking that I wanted to be in one of those uh, cool positions, as I thought at the time, FBI, DEA, uh, you know how you are when you're young, and I. I wanted my foot in the door and I was going through the hiring process with U.S. Marshals and was almost through. And then they had a freeze. They had a hiring freeze. And it was a U.S. Marshal friend of mine who said, hey, you should put in for the Border Patrol. They're hiring. And I will be brutally honest. I had no idea what the Border Patrol did, who they were, because I was in the literally in the middle of the country in in small town, Kansas. Well, Manhattan, Kansas, which is known as the Little Apple, to give you an idea of how small um, but I, I threw my name in the hat and, and, uh, there's a long story about me getting on board first and foremost, uh, if anybody's frustrated about OPM or the different things right now, how, uh, paperwork works, uh, I got three denial letters before I actually got a call, um, in December of 94. And I actually thought it was a joke because I had had three denial letters saying, sorry, you didn't score high enough. And I, it was, the first one was, okay, I'll move on to something else. The second one, I was like, really, they're sending me a second one. By the third one, I was like, okay, I get it. You guys don't want me. But um, I got a call in December and I literally thought it was a prank uh, because they wanted me there within two weeks. So I had hardly any time to decide. And um, I, I tell my story of, uh, which is dating me big time and the, the, uh, Kids today wouldn't recognize it, but I pulled out a Rand McNally Atlas trying to find Douglas, Arizona on it because I had no idea where that was. And on on the Arizona Atlas, Douglas looks like it's about, you know, a half an inch from Tucson. And I thought, well, I'd heard of Tucson, so Douglas won't be that bad. Little did I know it was over two hours. It was two hours away to get up to Tucson. But I joined the patrol with the intent of using it as a stepping stone and moving on to something bigger and better in my mind. And, you know, I, one year on the ground in Douglas, Arizona, which is, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And I swore I'd never leave because of the mission and the men and the women. And it was already a family to me uh, within a year. And as I said before, it was so critical to me. I almost didn't take the OPR job because I wanted to make sure I could retire in that green uniform. I loved the Border Patrol from day one. I love the men and women still to this day. And uh, yeah, that was really my experience. I wasn't planning on being a Border Patrol agent my, my whole life, but I couldn't be prouder uh, to have had that opportunity to be for 25 years. Well, I can tell you, so the FBI, DEA, Marshal Service, all fine agencies in their own right. They are. They're, their loss for, uh, for not picking <laughs> you up and, 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 and our gain. And I think it's safe to say no matter with, with the attitude and your character, uh, your character attributes, 
no matter what path you would have taken, you would have been a trailblazer in any of those organizations. And that's kind of what we're what we're celebrating about you today is what that represents for women in federal law enforcement. You are a, a trailblazer. You are somebody that has uh, you you cut a path that nobody else has followed. You you set a trail for other people to to navigate from and achieved the pinnacle of one of the largest federal law enforcement enforcement organizations in the country and in becoming the chief. But not just that, everything that you did in between, because I can tell you, and for everybody listening, when you left, when you retired, that reputation of being 10-8 was solidly intact. You talked to anybody about you that worked with you out in the field. I never heard a bad word about you. And I'm saying that in all honesty, that is the trail that was really blazed. The fact that you achieved the pinnacle and became the chief of the border patrol, that's amazing in its own right but that you did that with your reputation intact and you chose to stand out in the right way, I think is, is what makes you a, a good subject for, for Women's History Month. And I, I, I'm looking for words of wisdom. You've already given us a couple, but as we look at the young uh, women that are part of the Border Patrol today, the ones that are thinking about applying, you've given us a couple nuggets. You, know, you see yourself as no different. You, you know that you're going to stand out. Choose how you stand out. What else can you tell them? Well, I can tell them, first and foremost, for those who, who are thinking about it and haven't done it, do it. Um, it's such an amazing organization. Uh, the, the Border Patrol, as we've said time and again, Chief, it's, it's a family, and we are there for one another in good times, in bad times. Um, and it just really, it, I, I think my story about not planning on staying and after a year in really speaks to that. And we need more women in the Border Patrol because women do bring something different. Um, just the way we communicate and, and is, is different than men. And I, I love to see so many more women every time I came out and visited at the academy. For the young women that are there, do the best you can do. You stand out and don't be afraid to make mistakes. I say this really to everybody because mistakes happen. You can make mistakes as long as you learn from them. And I, I think that is, is key to it. And I, I would also say this, don't be afraid to, to move up, to take that next position. I've had a lot of people, men and women in the patrol say, well, I'm not sure I'm ready for that next position yet or that next challenge. Um, sometimes, that's a, sometimes that's a good thing because if you're not quite ready for it, you work harder at it. And don't be afraid to make that step to that next move, whether it's if you're a, a, a agent out there, a female agent out there considering putting in for supervisor uh, or second line or third, where whatever you're considering, I would tell you, do it. Uh, take that challenge, but be prepared to work hard and do the best that you can do in it. Um, for our young women, just keep Keep doing the great things you're doing. I see it time and again. And Chief, it's great seeing you highlight so many of them too and different things throughout the academy. You're doing a great job. I would love to see that uh, 5% grow. I'd like to see it up around, around you know, at least where other organizations are with the 10%. Um, but what I do know is I'm so very, very proud of that 5% and what they're doing and how well they're representing uh, all the women out there in in law enforcement in general. I can tell you that uh, that, that we're all very proud of them because we, we look at our 5% and, and we say our 5% is tougher than yours. 
when it comes well, to Well, that's, that's a definite, right? <laughs> Just because they're in the patrol. Absolutely. So you, you brought up two more, uh, two, two more great pieces of advice really for life, not just for, for the young women that are coming up, but the, uh, yeah, you're going to make mistakes. Don't be afraid, make those mistakes and learn from them. And there's no better place to make the mistakes than at the Academy and in training so that you don't Definitely. make it when you're out in the field. But at the end of the day, we all make mistakes. And I'm sure we could talk for hours, probably just <laughs> you and I, about the mistakes we've made respectively in our in our careers and, and get yes. a bunch of laughs. But, uh, but yeah, that's, it's going to happen. That's just the nature, part and parcel of being a trainee and coming up in a new organization and a new job. The other it thing is. you talked about is, is the, uh, I think to encapsulate it is expand your comfort zone. You, know, you, you don't, uh, don't live in that, that area of comfort grow and expand and take on those challenges, overcome those fears. And, and inevitably you learn and, and you adapt and you're able to do those bigger and better things. Definitely chief. Uh, you, I think you said it much more eloquently than I did, but that you, you captured it. Uh, definitely. So that, that is great, great advice. And I, and I hope that the, uh, the young women and, and, and men for that matter are listening to each and every one of those points, because that is, uh, that couldn't have been said better. And those are great four great points about how we can, uh, how we can succeed, especially in law enforcement. I want to talk to you a little bit about the border patrol and our motto, the, uh, the academy. One of the things that we impart upon the trainees, not just how to do the job, not just the curriculum, which as you said, is one of the toughest in law enforcement, but we talk to them about, uh, why they do this job and, and, and we try and make it to where they do it for the right reasons and in the right way. And one of our, uh, guiding principles, Border Patrol, it's, it's honor first, and it, it goes to the, uh, you know, the, the core objective, core principles of CBP. But honor first, that is something that has been around almost as long as the United States Border Patrol. You can look at our, at our archives and history when it was written, and you can see that it, it goes all the way back almost to the very beginning. Honor first has to carry a special meaning for each and every one of us. It's not something that we just write on our signature block. It's not a tagline. It's not something that we just uh, say just because we are a member of the United States Border Patrol. It's our guiding principle. It guides our actions and our thoughts on and off duty. I want to ask you, through all that you have been through, as you have thought about what honor first means to you in each of the positions you've held and in and this trail that you have blazed throughout our organization and our Green family, talk a little bit about what it is for you. Define it for, for the people that are listening in your words. Sure. Um, well, you know, Chief, and, and I, I love that motto. And if you ever listen to me speak to the agents, I'd always, always end with that because I think it's so important. I mentioned earlier that um, it's, it, you can make mistakes, but there are some mistakes you can't make. And when it comes to integrity and, um, you know, whether or not you do the right thing, you have to, you can never, if your tech integrity is tarnished, then you're done. You really, really are done. And I think when I think of honor first in the border patrol, wearing that badge, pinning that badge on that you're wearing right there that I'm looking at today, uh, the most important thing is upholding what that badge means and your honor and your integrity and making sure that you're doing what's right. Mistakes can be hap can happen, but doing what is right all the time. And I look at the challenges that the men and women have been up against. And I thought about this a lot when I was the chief because we were under such scrutiny as an organization. 
and the border patrol had been political, I guess, politicalized. I can't say it, political sized, politicized, politicized. See, I can't get it out now. I said it earlier on something else and I got it right, but I couldn't get it today. Um, so much and with so much false rhetoric around the organization and the men and women and the way that uh, they were treating people and knowing, and the reason I come back to this with honor first, knowing what the men and women were truly doing, taking care of kids, taking care of families, bringing in stuff from home to care for them, feeding babies, my gosh, the kinds of things that I saw our men and women doing over the last uh, three, four years while I was uh, blessed to be the deputy and then the acting chief for a very long time and then the chief. Um, it speaks to, to just that, to honor first. I saw it time and time again, whether it was coming to the academy and seeing uh, the trainees and what you were instilling in them or going to a facility where a border patrol agent uh, was feeding a, a baby and making sure or changing diapers or these types of things and listening to the false rhetoric that was out there uh, about our men and women and hearing some of the crazy complaints that were coming in and allegations it was it was tough to see but it was always that honor that kept me going and knowing the truth of what our men and women were doing and when i think of honor first it's always coming back to that it always comes back to the men and women and what they do for this country, whether it's out dealing with uh, criminal element, drug smugglers, bad people trying to bring bad things in, or if it's turning around and dealing with a mother and child who are have been out in the desert for, for you know days, are desperate for food, care, medical care, um, clothing, all of the things they need. The men and women of the Border Patrol do it all, and they stand up and do whatever challenge is put up against them. And I think that comes back to honor first. It's always there. It doesn't matter whether we were, we weren't brought in to care for children and, and families, but we step up and do it. So no matter what the challenge, the men and women of the Border Patrol always step up and do it. And uh, that comes with that honor and that feeling that that is their responsibility, no matter what the challenge. I don't know if that answers it, but it does. That, that, that is that is so perfect. And it, it couldn't be at a more opportune moment than the world we live in today. Number one, being a public servant, being a law enforcement officer is tough. It, it is a it hard is. thing to do. I, I would say that being a Border Patrol agent is probably even tougher. It, it doesn't matter what administration is in is in power we tend to be politicized our mission our job at least aspects of it tend to be but for us that our mission our job never changes and we have to exercise honor first and do whatever we're called upon to do whether it be rescues or whether it be seizing narcotics whether it be mixing formula and changing diapers no matter what is being said about us and there's a lot of false yeah. narrative a lot of rhetoric that, that that you and your families will hear just by virtue of being part of this family. And we have to put that aside and persevere and do what is right because we are living honor first. And I think that's an important thing to hear right now because here we are, we're experiencing another surge on the border. Yep. It's yep. something that I hate uh, to see him. And, and uh, any of us that have been around for a while know that 
that happens. We have done this. It has been a roller coaster ride, at least as long as I have been part of the agency. Mm-hmm. There have been surges. The surges stop. They have gone from one place to the other along the border. That is the nature and the environment of law enforcement. The threat changes. The environment changes. And we must evolve and change with it. And if we forget that principle of honor first, if we forget why we do what we do, it makes doing that so much more difficult. It does. It does. I said this before. um, I think I testified to this before that, you know, the men and women of the Border Patrol don't leave their humanity at the door when they when they come in to work. Um, They're actually the most uh, I, I just I can never say enough about the men and women. I was always impressed. I would think I couldn't be impressed more. And then they'd step up to the next challenge. Uh, whatever it was, and and take it on full force. And it, I think it speaks to the the motto that's instilled uh, in them at day day one at the academy. Um, when you bring them in and you start instilling that in them, I think it's so important. And I know it it carried me throughout my career. I, I know it carries you, and uh, hopefully it will for all of our men and women. Well, folks, if this isn't a a good indicator of the caliber of individual and and why we have Chief Provost on here today, uh, time and time again, you know, my questions have been directed toward her and talking about her personally. And if you notice, she keeps taking the conversation back to the men and women of the Border Patrol and this organization that, that to this day she loves so very much has been such a big part of her life. Chief, any other parting words you'd like to give out, a shout out to anybody that's out in the field right now? Well, first and foremost, I just want to say thank you to all all of you for everything that you're doing. I know you're up against uh, great challenges again, but I also know uh, that you'll rise to the occasion and that you already are. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for, uh, you know, the the long hours, you know, for the family members also that may be listening. Thank you, because I know the sacrifices that you make so that uh, your loved one can be out there working long hours, protecting the country. Um, coming up against all different kinds of challenges. And that, that's really it, Chief. I just, I can't say enough about, uh, I have to go back to it, the men and women. Thank you all, yourself included, Chief, for everything that you do for this country. Um, it was an honor to wear that uniform alongside of you. And it is a privilege to get to watch what you all continue to do today. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Chief Carla Provost, retired chief of the United States Border Patrol, and just one of the many reasons that we in the United States Border Patrol celebrate Women's History Month. That's going to do it for another episode of What's Important Now. We'll talk again soon, but until then, stay safe out there and honor first.